let's go ahead and get started. You should have, what was that? I didn't get a book. No, you didn't get a book. I'll explain why you didn't get a book in a minute. All right. I was going to uh, wait to explain this, but since Marcy Hunter is so very concerned about this, I want to explain. This lecture is this is not going to be a lecture class. It's going to be a discussion class. So it's participatory. So you will need to answer my questions and ask your own and provide you know good interaction. I'm not going to stand up here and, and uh, pretend to be an expert, especially about a topic such as evangelism. I'm almost 40, but I'm still 39. I'm going to hold on to that. And uh, I have a month left. So I'm going to hold on to that. And so I know that my 39 years of life is limited in experience compared to some of you who are veteran saints who can uh, lend much advice to us that are younger. So, Marcy, it will be discussion, not lecture. There might be a couple that are more heavy on uh, me sharing stuff with you, but my my desire and design is going to be much like the Discovery series if you were in that when I taught that, which was much more interactive, and we'll go from there. So you should have in your possession um, a handout that basically says nothing on it. Um, It's a blank sheet. The reason it's blank is because I would like you to just write stuff down. There's going to be times where I ask you to write your own thoughts on there that only you see, and maybe I'll ask you to share if you feel comfortable. Maybe you won't. Um, that'll be actually one of the first things we do tonight. Um, but I, I do I do want to provide something so that you can walk away, because I, I don't have, you know, super cool binder like Pastor Ken with, you know, 500 pages of <laughs> detailed systematic theology notes. Um, So, which means I probably should explain some things to you. Uh, I'm sorry. In addition to that blank sheet of paper, you should have a pen if you don't have one. There are some over here. And uh, most of you got a book. So that book is called Questioning Evangelism. I'll talk about it in a little bit. Um, But they didn't order enough. There's too many of you, and they only ordered 18. They got them today. I will give you, uh, those of you that didn't get one, I will give you those hopefully next week if uh, they get them by next week. Um, we will not be going through that book, so which is what I need to explain now. The original uh, design of this class was to go through a curriculum called Giving the Exchange. That's what you saw on the banner ad on, on the projector screen in the auditorium. After some discussion with Pastor Ken and me reading through the whole curriculum, he and I decided together that we were just going to kind of scratch that and start over, um, which should make you scared because that means that I'm coming up with what we're going to talk about every week. Um, I think I have a decent idea of what we're going to talk about. I have like 11 uh, topics planned. We'll see how many we get to. Some of them might take more than one week. Hopefully not. Um, Things that I would like to discuss are today the biblical call to evangelism. Next week, we'll talk about why we don't evangelize. And so again, it's going to be participatory. Uh, And then we're going to talk about the gospel. And what are the core tenets of the gospel that we must all understand or what a person must understand in order to be saved? Because we need to know that. 
so that we can communicate that so that that person can know the essential facts of the gospel to become a believer. Um, we will talk about um, the idea of the title of our, seer, or our uh, 12 weeks, which is relational evangelism. What's unique about relational evangelism as opposed to, let's say, door-to-door evangelism or a pastor standing and just sharing the gospel? I am hoping to uh, talk about, and this is what this book will be about, how to handle critics so or a skeptic. So you might have a friend who just loves to badger you with things that are wrong about God's word or go through a litany of reasons why God's word can't possibly be true or why evolution is right and creation's wrong. That book that you have is a fantastic book. There's others that we'll talk about tonight, but that is a fantastic book that I hope you'll read. We're not going to be going through every chapter. We won't actually talk about the contents of it till later in the semester, but I want you to have it because I think it'll be a good tool in your arsenal as you prepare to share the gospel. Um, two other topics that I hope to cover, I don't know if we'll get there, but evangelism, evangelism at home and evangelism at work. Because I think those are two very practical arenas that we often overlook. Like, oh yeah, for those of us that have kids, we have kids that we need to be evangelizing. Or family members at Christmas that don't know God. Or co-workers at work and you think, well, i got to do my job. I'm not paid to share the gospel, but you want to share the gospel. How do you do that? So those are the types of things that I'm hoping to discuss. And it will be, again, a discussion. Not me standing here as the expert telling you how to do all that. If I'm being honest, I don't. I can't ever recall leading a person to the Lord. I've preached the gospel, I've communicated it as clearly as I can to numerous people, and I've never had the privilege of leading someone to the Lord. So, does that make me an ineffective, uh, crappy evangelist? Uh, it might. I, so, <laughs> I can't stand here and tell you that I'm a rock star at evangelism. I can... Uh, my dad's in the class, and I can tell you he is, but he wouldn't agree to that. But he spent 40-plus years working at DTE and shared the gospel with countless people, and um, he has a stellar reputation for that. So that's why I think it's so important for the discussion. So let me get into um, this particular class, this lesson today, which is going to be the biblical call. And I'm going to... Um, tell you right now, one of my goals is that I want you to feel the weight of Scripture rather than me stand here and say, go share the gospel. Okay. <laughs> but God tells you to. Not Troy. Not Ken. We might, but who are we? God says it to you, though. And I want you to just let the weight of, of the scripture's call to evangelize sink deeply in your heart. So here are the books that I'm uh, recommending. Number one, Questioning Evangelism. That's the one you have in your hand. And we'll go through some of those topics at the end of the semester. You will all, all own that for your $10 donation to the cause. I don't get that. I wish I did, but I don't. The next book I'd like to recommend, here's four or five books I'd like to recommend that will help shape my discussion with you, and I think would be, if you are a reader, if you are retired, if you don't have a job, 
if you're a student and just need more reading to do, um, or if you just want to be uh, Billy Sunday in 2019 and 20, I would recommend that you you buy these books. This one is called Turning Everyday Conversations into Gospel Conversations. This is a very helpful book. I highly recommend you get it. It's written by a guy named Jimmy Scroggins and Steve Wright. They very clearly communicate the gospel, but they give you a very nice tool. That's just literally you draw three circles and you fill them in and you have some nice little lines and you can very clearly share the gospel based on brokenness. There's this theme that everyone experiences in life called brokenness. We're going to talk about this when we get to this section of our class. I think this is a very helpful book, very practical. The next one is called Tactics. You can't see it because the uh, projector stinks, but... It's written by a guy named Greg Kukul. Kukul is K-O-U-K-L. This book is fantastic as well. He uh, suggests something called the Colombo Method. For those of you that are uh, in the realm of life that know what Colombo is, I needed him to explain that to me. Um, but I'll let you figure that out. But read the book. It's a great one to help you learn how to communicate the gospel in a clear and compelling way. One of the things that he talks about is that if someone is going to come to you as a skeptic and make a statement against Scripture, then you have to, if they're going to make a statement, you have to ask questions to force them to support their statement. They need to have a foundation for their statement. Otherwise, their statement is of no value unless they can provide the structure and the support to make that accusation. The next one is called The Gospel and Personal Evangelism. I believe this is the second edition, written a guy by, uh, by a guy named Mark Dever. He's a pastor down in Washington, D.C. It's exceptional. It's very clear and simple. For those of you that don't like reading, this is going to be the one that you want to get, because it's short. So I'm with you on that. This is it. The last one, I think, there's so many more. So many more. But the last one is called What is the Gospel? It's like by a guy named Greg Gilbert. This book just simply walks through the gospel. And it's chapter by chapter, clearly explains. It's a little bit longer. It's in the, like, the 250 range. For those of you that are... That might be pushing the envelope for some, but this is an excellent book, and I'd highly recommend it. I think if you bought, I'm not suggesting you do this, I am suggesting you do this. If you bought all these books and you read them and understood what they had to say, I think you would be very, very well prepared to clearly share the gospel. And of course, taking this class, the combination is amazing. So... Here are my goals for this particular lesson. Number one, and this is the top of your sheet, to identify our pre-understanding of what evangelism is. All of us come to the table in any discussion with some sort of pre-understanding or pre-knowledge or expectations, perceptions of what something is. I would like to try to unearth that a little bit tonight. 
And we're going to start with that. Number two, I want you to feel the weight of Scripture. We're going to walk through Scripture texts tonight, and we're just going to read through them. We're just going to highlight some of the things that they say. And I want the weight of Scripture to rest on your heart and mind, that we might be compelled by God's call to evangelize. And then third, to define the term. If we're going to spend 12 weeks talking about this topic of evangelism, we need to know what we mean when we say that. Because I found, even with my own kids, that one word can mean many different things in, in, to this different people. And so we would, I would like to discover that or think about it tonight. So I'm going to attempt to curb my enthusiasm. I have been reading a lot. I have lots of thoughts. But I want to hear from you. So my question, and this is where you're going to have to write is what is evangelism? So if you could take a couple minutes, and if you had to define evangelism, how would you define it? Maybe what is it? Who does it? How's it done? Maybe those would be sorts of questions that would help uh, spark your thinking. Do you not have a sheet? someone be daring enough to share their staff and by the way mention your name first just because I've, I'm terrible with names and I think I know all of you but it would be nice to have a refresher okay I'm Willis and I don't care if you guys can get a car I say awesome okay I take on it initially here in this description is that it is the sharing of the truth of who Jesus is and what he did for humanity. It is the manifestation of God's compassion and provision communicated through people. Wow. That's really good. We should adopt that one. <laughs> That's way better than mine. So. <laughs> uh, my name is Joe. What I wrote down is the ability to communicate God's word to an unsaved person. Anyone who has accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior can be an evangelist. Okay. 
Anyone else? Marcy, you know I'm going to pick on you. So. <laughs> they just put sharing the gospel through words and lifestyle for unbelievers everywhere. Okay. Yes. Good. You're all too well educated, clearly. <laughs> Anyone else? Alright, can you think of any scripture texts that we could look at tonight that would um, communicate God's uh, expectation that we would evangelize? Go into all, kind of like go into all the world and make Yep. Matthew 28. Look at that. You got my first one. Now, if you guys get them all in order, I'm going to be really, really impressed. So Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What, uh, other than the obvious that I underlined for you, is there anything that we should kind of like uh, tuck away in our mind as we walk through this text to think, okay, to help us build a definition of evangelism, like what should we tuck away from this one? So I'm giving you a heads up. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to give you a text. We're going to try to mine it for a couple nuggets, and then we're going to build a definition at the end. So, the very first part of the statement gives the weight of what he's calling us to Okay. Joe? I'll say, though, at the beginning of the statement, all authority is very declarative statement, very important. Yep. statement that draws attention to the rest of the passage. That's facilitated as responsibility. Yeah. Yeah, we have a responsibility with the power of Jesus on our side to go and make disciples. To so make disciples. Authority. Authority. I'm not following. Can authority be uh, seen as supreme responsibility? Well, this text says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and this is Jesus saying that. So I think we have, you could say we have, like, delegated authority. We have the authority, the authorization uh, that Jesus gives us to go share the gospel, but we don't possess his power in the same way he does, obviously. Any other texts? Julie? Oh, Okay, it's a command. So it's not an option, right? God says go because he has all authority, has all sovereignty, he has all power. Go and make disciples of all nations. How about another text? That's that's the easiest one. 
Erica, right? Yep. Okay. Um, I find it comforting because it says, and surely I am with you always. So when we go into that, we're not going to get by ourselves. We'll talk about that one week. Uh, I think week four-ish. We're going to talk about divine sovereignty and evangelism and how those two worlds collide in a good way. Deb? We have everything we need. We have to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So the disciples had that and now by extension through initially scripture we have everything you need to tell them. Any other texts? If we move on from uh, Matthew eight or twenty eight, what other texts could we look at? Okay, Apostle Paul and one of the Corinthians. Can't remember which one. First Peter three fifteen. Okay, it's my third text. <laughs> Got to see if I can uh, skip to that one. I gave you one there. Let's see if I can skip to it. There we go. First Peter three fifteen through sixteen. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Okay, so this one's easy. Right? The nugget of truth we would mind is. Oh, come on, don't make me pick on you. Anthony, what nugget of truth would we need to mind from this text? I have it underlined. Verse <laughs> 15 is sticking out to me. Well, you only have two verse options, so that does help eliminate it. 15 is my favorite number. Perfect. Um, so that when people, we have a hope that comes from Jesus, and so we should be looking to share that and to be prepared for anything that someone would ask. Yep. And so that requires a little bit of work on our part. Absolutely. Yeah, which is why uh, I desire to kind of reshape this class because I wanted uh, to not just be a lecture. Larson. Um, I didn't want to be a, just a simple lecture or just go through all these theoretical things. I wanted to be able to get into uh, very practical things about, okay, well, how do we take those facts of the gospel and be prepared to answer the skeptic or answer your kid uh, when they ask you crazy questions and you're like never thought about that one before I get those zingers all the time from my kids and they're good ones and Hadley gave me one a few uh, like a year ago or more about like well daddy it's not really my fault that I sinned because Adam sinned and I didn't have a choice. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, had to break out some good theology from seminary there and uh, I think it went over her head. But I thought I was a pretty, uh, for a 
probably four to five year old at the time. I thought that was a pretty stellar observation that she was thinking that deep. But as parents, you never know what singers you're going to get. Let me go back to my second text, which is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This one's a longer one, but it says, Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. And uh, for a few verses, he gets wordy here. But So just pass over the wordiness for verse 14 and following. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. And I think I've... There we go. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though Christ were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. A long text, but a lot of good stuff in it. So what are some nuggets we can mine from this? Joe? We are Christ's ambassadors. Okay. Okay. So we are his representatives. If you remember the first, the very first verse, verse 11, it says we try to do what? We try to do what? We try to persuade. So there is, if I could put it this way, there's some passion behind our, our, our request. What's another big word, weighty word in this text? Vince? Reconciliation. Yep. What's reconciliation? Make peace. Phils? It's it's coming together after being apart. Right. It's coming together after being apart. But in the context of the gospel, tease that out a little bit more. I know we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but it is being a friend Right. So in our, in our unregenerate state, we're enemies. We're, as Ephesians 2 says, we're objects of God's wrath. And then, on the, on the flip side, reconciliation is we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So there's peace brought where there once was hostility. And we are the ambassadors. We are the uh, possessors of that message because we are the ones who have been reconciled and we are going to share that message of reconciliation with the world. Let me give you uh, one more text. i got to skip ahead of 1 Peter. This text is Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. This is late in the book of Colossians, kind of when Paul starts getting into his... uh, You know how at the end of his his letters, he always kind of goes in the last chapter, so he goes on these like little quick, do this, do this, do this, like his final reminders. Well, here's one of those like do this, do this kind of things that almost at times seem disconnected. But he says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too. Pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So what nuggets of truth can you mine from this one? I think this one is a gold mine. God will give opportunities. Okay. Chris? I love to be wise and be excellent. They are watching us. Yep. Marcy? There's the conviction in there, too, for me, anyway, is they, I mean, clearly, as I should, I don't know how many opportunities I've ignored or came across later, like, oh, I should have said something, or, you know, opportunities that were clearly there that I didn't take advantage of. Vince? What, what does proclaim clearly mean? What, what does it mean to proclaim? To say, to declare, to communicate. I think the emphasis is rather on the proclaiming, it's on the what? The clarity, Right? Because I could, I could stand up here um, having um, experienced seminary and I could tell you words that I can barely pronounce. I certainly couldn't define in a way that would make sense to any normal human being. And we could go and we could use big words when we go and share the gospel. Right? And... What good is that if it's not clear? Now, we can't water down the gospel, right? I mean, there has to be that balance. We can't water down the gospel and and explain it in such an easy way that it's not true anymore. But do we have to use the word propitiation? Uh, Or the uh, theanthropic person? I mean, do do we need to use big, humongous words like that. I don't think we do. I think we can share the gospel with clarity um, that's going to benefit the unbeliever. The gospel is offensive enough. Our our style and mode of communication doesn't need to be the thing that offends them. 
It should be the message of the gospel that they're wretched sinners and they're dying and going to hell. That's offensive enough. I don't even like hearing that, and I'm a believer. <laughs> like, I don't want to be reminded of my own sinfulness, so that's already offensive enough to a believer. So, from these texts, it's, I think, can we at least all argue, it's undeniably clear that each and every one of us has a personal responsibility to, to take on, to, to take the baton and go share the gospel. Vince? Um, I don't know, I walked in late, I, I don't know if, uh, could you, could you use the verse that said, by the foolishness of preaching, God chose to save those who believe? I did not. Because that, but that's one of them we could use. I just didn't put up on the screen. There's a, there's not a million, but there's a lot of verses that we could use. I just cherry picked a few of them. Those? I noticed that there, there's four separate commands in verse to pray. So clearly that is, that is key to being prepared. So, if we were to try to take all of this evidence, if I could put it that way, all these nuggets that we gleaned, how would we now, if you look at your paper, how would you now define evangelism? How would that maybe alter your original definition of what evangelism is? And we just, again, we looked at four texts. I think there were four. Anyone willing to suggest a suggest uh, a change to their definition? Just from the notes I took, um, you, I, just from what I jotted down from what you said, um, you could just put it like this: It is the command to be prepared for the gospel. We are Christ's representatives, bringing reconciliation to our believers. Okay. Cool. You guys, again, you have better definitions than mine. Vince? Um, I don't know if it would be a synonym like uh, herald. We're We're supposed to tell what the king say, what the king has decreed. Yep. And we're supposed to make that clear. Okay. In terms of peace. So here's my definition. And it's, again, super simple with the hope that you'll remember it. I'm going to probably give it to you every week. And I'm going to unpack it. So my definition is this. What is evangelism? It's sharing the gospel to make disciples. Sharing the gospel to make disciples. So... Here's where I'm gonna, how I'm gonna unpack that. I'm gonna try to take some of those things, those nuggets that we mined from those four texts and kind of put it in. So sharing. So when we're sharing, like the coffee cup in the picture that when you walked in, we're sharing. It's a relational sort of thing. We're, yes, I could stand in a pulpit and I could declare, 
But how many of you get that opportunity? How many of you get the opportunity to go stand at your workplace and shout from the, the balcony of your work, say, say, you are going to hell, you need to repent and believe in Jesus. Like, we don't get that opportunity. We're not the Apostle Paul. So we're not going to proclaim it in that sense, but we can share it. And the context in which we're going to most likely share the gospel is in relationships. So sharing is the equivalent of clearly communicating, right? We are going to share as clear as we possibly can. And what are we going to share? We're going to share the gospel. Let that sink in. I didn't say we're going to share our testimony. I didn't say we're going to share our experience. I'm not saying that your experience is bad. I'm not saying that your testimony is bad. But your testimony and your experience are not necessarily the gospel. If they include the facts of the gospel, then that's awesome. And then that's great. But sharing your personal story is not necessarily evangelizing. Sharing the gospel, in particular the facts of the gospel, now that's evangelism. We're going to look at the facts, the essential facts, in a couple weeks. So we're going to share, we're going to clearly communicate the facts of the gospel in order to make, that is, to see conversions. Is there anyone in here other than my father who took uh, any of the Discovery series with me? One, two, Chris took one, Linda, I know, took a couple. So, I think it was in the second week, we defined conversion. I'm not even going to venture to guess that you remember So I'm just going to tell you what it was. I define the term conversion as this. It's a change of heart. And it's a twofold change of heart. It's a change of heart, number one, abandoning myself and my sin. So that's repentance. That's that side. It's abandoning the former life. And on the flip side, the faith embracing God and His grace. So conversion is a change of heart, dot, 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 abandoning myself and my sin, repentance, and embracing God and His grace, faith. Conversion is a double-sided coin. It is repentance on one side and faith on the other. So our desire is that we are going to share the gospel, we're going to clearly communicate its facts, and allow the powerful Spirit of God to convert to lead them to repentance and faith. Now, we can call them to do that, but we can't make them repent and believe. And lastly, I'm drawing this, the disciples' aspect from Matthew 28. So we're sharing the gospel in order to make disciples. Well, what's a disciple? A disciple is what? A follower of what? Okay, and, and what does a follower of Jesus Christ do? Do they go rogue? Okay, so what do they do? Okay, they likewise share the gospel, and they do it in, like, what type of community do they become involved in? Church. The church, right? Matthew 28 says, 
All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of every nation. And what is the next word after that comma? Baptizing them. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them. Right? So, what what are they just getting baptized? And like being baptized, and then they can go fly solo. No, they're being baptized. And they're, as we see in Acts, they're baptized, added to the church. So a disciple is a Christ follower. He's an ambassador that is now going to multiply the message sharing capabilities of the church of God. So my definition is sharing the gospel to make disciples. So last question. What is successful and no we're not done so I know I put the last slide up don't pack your stuff up we're not done we're getting close though and you will praise me because I will be done what do you think successful evangelism looks like Change my definition in order to be uh, to clarify what I think successful evangelism looks like. Originally, my definition was making disciples by sharing the gospel. And I thought, I'm not saying that's wrong, but it's a matter of emphasis. The reality is, is that so if you share the gospel and a disciple is not made, is all is that mean that you didn't evangelize? Does that mean that you were unsuccessful in your evangelism? No. That's why I switched it and I tried to make the priority or the emphasis on sharing the gospel and making disciples. Because it's our goal, our aim is to make disciples. But the emphasis is... We are faithful. When we are faithful, as Linda said, we're sharing the gospel. We're depending on the Spirit of God to do the work that only He can do. We cannot... We can manipulate their emotions. We can make them feel as guilty as guilty can be. But at the end of the day, we can't make them uh, become a genuine follower of Christ. We're going to look at that in a couple weeks. So my goal for tonight my goals for tonight are one, to identify our pre-understanding of evangelism. I don't know if you came in tonight with a wacky version of what what evangelism was. I hope that you walk away having felt the weight that you have a responsibility before God, your Creator, and your Savior to go and share the good news. And I hope that 
adequately defined, yet in a very simple way, what evangelism is. Sharing the gospel to make disciples. So I pray that these goals will have been accomplished. Next week, as I mentioned earlier, we are going to discuss why we don't evangelize. So get your uh, humble hats on, and uh, we're going to have to dig deep in our own hearts. Before you leave, I'd like to read um, an excerpt from one of the books that I suggested you buy. It's the book by Mark Dever called The Gospel and Personal Evangelism. In his introduction, he gives this story. John Harper was born in a Christian home in Glasgow, Scotland in 1872. When he was about 14 years old, he became a Christian himself. And from that time on, he began to tell others about Christ. At 17 years of age, he began to preach, going down the streets of his village and pouring out his soul in passionate pleading for men to be reconciled to God. After five or six years of toiling on street corners, preaching the gospel, and working in the mill during the day, Harper was taken in by the Reverend E.A. Carter, a Baptist pioneer mission in London. This set Harper free to devote his whole time and energy to the work so dear to his heart, evangelism. Soon in September 1896, Harper started his own church. This church, which he began with just 25 members, numbered over 500 by the time he left 13 years later. During this time, he had been both married and widowed. Before he lost his wife, God blessed Harper with a beautiful little girl named Nana. Harper's life was an eventful one. He almost drowned several times. When he was two and a half years of age, he fell into a well, but was resuscitated by his mother. At the age of 26, he was swept out to sea by a reverse current and barely survived. And at 32, he faced death on a leaking ship in the Mediterranean. If anything, these brushes with death simply seemed to confirm John Harper in his zeal for evangelism, which marked him out for the rest of the days of his life. While pastoring his church in London, Harper continued his fervent and faithful evangelism. In fact, he was such a zealous evangelist that the Moody Church in Chicago asked him to come over to America for a series of meetings. He did, and they went well. A few years later, Moody Church asked him if he would come back again. And so it was that Harper boarded a ship one day with a second-class ticket at Southampton, England, for the voyage to America. Harper's wife had died just a few years before, and he had with him his only child, Nana, age six. What happened after this we know mainly from two sources. One is Nana, who died in 1986 at the age of 80. She remembered being woken up by her father a few nights into their journey. It was about midnight. He said that the ship they were on had struck an iceberg. Harper told Nana that another ship was just about there to rescue them, but... As a precaution, he was going to put her in a lifeboat with an older cousin who had accompanied them. As for Harper, he would wait until the other ship arrived. The rest of the story is a, tr- is a tragedy well known. Little Nana and her cousin were saved, but the ship they were on was the Titanic. The only way we know what happened to John Harper after is because in a prayer meeting in Hamilton, Ontario, some months later, a young Scotsman stood up in tears and told the extraordinary story of how he was converted. 
He explained that he had been on the Titanic the night it struck the iceberg. He had clung to a piece of floating debris in the freezing waters. Suddenly, he said, a wave brought a man near, John Harper. He, too, was holding a piece of wreckage. He called out, Man, are you saved? No, I'm not, I replied. He shouted back, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. The waves bore Harper away. But a little later, he was washed back beside me again. Are you saved now, he called out? No, I answered. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Then, losing his hold on the water, Harper sank. And there, alone in the night, with two miles of water under me, I trusted Christ as my Savior. I am John Harper's last convert. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us, help your word to motivate us to share your good news because it is amazing and good and gracious news. Help us to be bold. Help us to have passion. Help us to have gentleness and wisdom and grace as we take your good news and we share it with our friends and family and those that we know that do not know you. In your name we pray. Amen.